0: Turn to Hebrews 7. I think what a, uh, an appropriate passage. We're going to cover the whole chapter, and uh, I want you to get the flow of it. And uh, I want to speak on the subject, you need a priest. You need a priest. Let me say something about that. I did not grow up as a Roman Catholic or in any uh, religious tradition that you had a priest. Uh, some even called their pastors the priest. So, I didn't grow up around that and never thought of I need a priest because I was not of that tradition. Uh, when I started uh, Bible college, I wound up in the area, uh, though I was of a different uh, denomination, I wound up in Baptist schools. All, all my uh, graduate ambassador's program was Baptist schools, just by default. I wanted to stay at home, stay in the Bay Area, so I looked for Baptist schools around here. And I had to take Baptist church history. And one of the things they drill in you to be a Baptist was to believe in the priesthood of all believers. Have you ever heard of that? All believers are priests. The first pope said that, Peter, 1 Peter 2.9. He said, we are a royal priesthood. And the emphasis is, we don't need any middleman for us. We, uh, we can approach God for ourselves. okay? Every believer is free to approach God for himself. And we don't have to have clergymen down here to get to God. But as I study and as we will be looking at Hebrews, I do need a priest real bad. I cannot approach God just on my own. I do have to go through a middleman. And there's only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So I don't just bop into the presence of God without a middleman. And you Protestants have forgot that. You hear this priesthood of the believer, which is true, but it's not a priest. It's just, I go zipping right in, hello, God, I want to talk to you. No, 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 no. I draw nigh to God through the person of Jesus Christ. So, I do need a priest, but he's not on this earth. He's in the heavens in the true sanctuary of God. I do need someone. God says, I don't want you coming to me unless you come through my designated priest. Now, let me give you a summary and a flow of Hebrews 7. Follow me, okay? He is introduced in chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, that he's introducing the high priestly ministry of Christ, and he says in verse 5 and 6, you are a priest forever." after the order of Melchizedek." As he talks on the subject by verse 11, he says, you guys have tuned me out. You don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm putting you to sleep, as it were. You you just checked out. Because here are Jews that are used to the Levitical priesthood. They've been approaching God through the household of Aaron. And all of a sudden, the author is talking about Melchizedek, What does Melchizedek have to do? I can't even spell it. What's that got to do with us? He begins to describe in the first 10 verses that Abraham in Genesis 14 met a priest by the name of Melchizedek. This priest was a king of righteousness. He was a king of peace. He was so greatly recognized by Abraham that he said, I want to pay you the tithes off of this battle where I just rescued Lot. Here's the tithe. I want, to, I want to give you something. And I remember this man just shows up. He has no genealogy, he has no ancestry. The debate is was this a real man or was this God the Son? I take it to be a real man. He said he was a resemblance of Christ. He was a type of Christ, but I take that he was a real person. But Abraham, when he meets him, I want to give tithes. Uh, you, You need to receive this on behalf of God. And he says in this man, in the first 10 verses, that even Levi, who was in the loins of Abraham, this was common, he was representing the tribe of Levi that had not even been born yet, but that would come out of his posterity, he says, Levi in the loins of Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. So, the the argument is there is a priesthood in the pages of Scripture greater than the Levitical priesthood that he is going to say is passing away. There's a greater priesthood that even the father of the nation, the father of the faithful, acknowledged a greater priest. He never did have the Aaronic priesthood. He never was under Levi. This is before law. This is before all of the Aaronic priesthood. There was a great priest that he gave his ties to that was superior to the Levitical priesthood. He wants to establish that, and that's rocking these people. Whoa, whoa. And he's just pivoting off of Psalms 110. Thou art my son, this day I've made you a priest forever, a priest forever, before the Levitical priesthood. Now, he's going to pick up in verses 11 through 19 and starts telling you the inferiority of the Levitical priesthood, that it was weak, that the men who served in it were weak. The priests were flawed. They had to offer sacrifices for themselves. They did it for the people. They did it for themselves. It was a priesthood subject to death, so it wasn't permanent. You, you get to in this one priest, hey, he just died. Or they would b- retire at the age of 50, Have any of you had to get a new doctor? If you live long enough, your doctors retire. Your dentist retired. I've been with these two doctors and and both retired. I really didn't like starting with a new doctor. I want to know they know my case. As soon as they meet me, they do a double check on the file. Is this guy this bad off? It's kind of, and so here Israel was. Their high priest didn't know their name. Their high priest, There was nothing. it was changing, changing. They were dying. The men who represented you were as sinful as you in many ways. And he goes on to say, hey, it, it was passing away. Look at verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, For under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek than one named after the order of Aaron? For there is a change in the priesthood. There's also a change in the law. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, Christ. He is from the tribe of Judah. He has, he's in the, line of Melchizedek. Now, here's the thing. When you read about the story of Melchizedek, he shows up no ancestry, and to be a Levitical priest, you had to have a record of your ancestry that took you all the way back to Aaron. If you don't have a pedigree, if you don't have a birth certificate that says you're a cohen that's the Hebrew word for priest. We have a missionary, Oded Cohen. That's a priestly name. If it doesn't go back, and yet all of a sudden, here comes this guy Melchizedek. You don't have any records of my genealogy. You have no records of my ancestry. I'm not related to Aaron. I'm superior to him. And Christ comes along and says, hey, there's no record of Christ all the way back to eternity. He is a priest because of his character, because of his eternality, because he's God. He's not in the Aaronic priesthood, that inferior. Rep- Here's the thing you don't need a priest if you can do this, if you can obey God perfectly. You don't need a priest. The priests were invented to do two things to represent sinful people to God. And the priests went in under the threat of his life and to offer sacrifices. Why? Because the people are so wonderful? It's because they're sinful. This is the issue. Who can represent me to God in all my sin, in all my weaknesses, and walk away with a good verdict? Who can represent you to God and tell everything there is to know about you that God knows? And you get off without penalty. That's the issue. And so, that's why we need a priest. That's why we need the sacrificial system. I have sinned. I do sin. Even the man offering the sacrifice sins when it's from the household of Aaron. But now, God has something better for us. Melchizedek, 10 verses. Levitical priesthood. Nine verses. Now let's pick up and look at what we get in Christ's priesthood, the third priesthood he mentions. Watch this in verse 20. And it was not without an oath that Christ was made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. All the way back to Psalms. Okay. This makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant. You're going to have to get this priesthood down. He guarantees he actually was the bail bondsman. This word was used, a posting bond. I guarantee this will be paid. This will be putting up earnest money that we will pay the debt. And Christ says, I will be the guarantee of a better covenant coming based upon my priestly work in ministry. Now watch. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. What a blessed thought. You you know, we think about crucifixion day and you think about resurrection day. Have you ever asked yourself, what in the world is Jesus doing up there now? What is he doing now, just hanging out in heaven? Well, I'll tell you what keeps him busy is you. He's busy up there representing you on the basis of his death. He's there. He's doing lots of things in heaven. He's not still on the throne. He's active on it. He's walking among his lampstands. Uh, he's, He's guiding all the affairs of the world. And it says he'll never die. So, this is a permanent office for him, for his people And now let's begin to examine what does he do while he's up there. Watch this, verse 25. It says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is our priest out of a divine oath. Jesus is our priest permanently, and Jesus is the guarantee that his priesthood will work. But now, let's look at this verse. He now, part of him being able to save you completely is tied to his present priestly ministry. Now, a priest, I get a sacrifice, I take it in to the holy of holies. If you're doing this once a year at Passover, I present this offering. I want you, God, to accept the offering. Do you accept? If you accept, I can go out and tell them your sins have been forgiven for another 360 days. The debt will be due next year at the 14th of the month. Only a year. I only get you off for 360 days at a time. And maybe the priest died that did that last year. We got a new priest going all through it again. Now, Christ has gone into heaven, and he's acting as a priest. Wait just a moment. Wait. You can't be a priest without a sacrifice. The priest doesn't go in there. I plead for Israel on the basis of my character that you spare them. God says, well, I might as well kill you right now because you've you're, you got sin too. The one representing the people is full of weakness and sin, according to Hebrews 5. But Christ, what he did, he does this. He dies on Friday. He's resurrected on Easter he goes to heaven and he comes to the Holy of Holies, and it's like he lays down on the Ark of the Covenant, said, Father, here's the sacrifice. Me. And from now on, when I pray for my people, I will pray for them and intercede on the basis of what I have done, not upon their merit. He never pleads, go easy on them because they didn't mean it. Go easy on them because they don't really have a fault. No, no, they're guilty. I didn't die because they were nice. I died because they were guilty. And I'm pleading the merits of my death, not the merit of the one I represent. You got to get that straight. Because a lot of Christians, they're trying to get the merit. They're trying to get it all together, and we hope you stop robbing banks and, you know, doing some of the things you did. Yeah, that'd be nice. You better. It's proof you've met him. But he pleads the merit of the sacrifice. What's the sacrifice? Himself, once for all. He's not in the sacrifice business anymore. One for all time, but now his priestly ministry is tied to that sacrifice for you. So, number one benefit, he is able to save you. And what did he say? He can save you completely or to the uttermost. Now, that uttermost, we used to say that meant to the guttermost. Well, he saves if you're in the gutter. But he saves you also if you own the bank. So, what does uttermost mean? It has two ideas originally in the Greek language. It could be temporally taken to be, he will save you as long as time shall last. That is, it has a temporal significance. Uh, Forever would be the translation. But there's another use of the word, and it's a kind of adjectival quality. He saves you thoroughly and completely. Did you know you were a mess when God found you? And you needed to be saved in three ways. You needed to be delivered from the divine penalty of God for your sins. So, he's got to figure out that. How can I get them off? How can the penalty be taken care of? Then, once the penalty, once we get out of the courtroom and We've settled up with justice. Now I'm back on the beat. Woo! we beat that, but I need the power not to do any more of the wrong deeds. Where do I get the power to no longer act like a sinner? Where do sinners get saved from acting like sinners? He has to save me in that way too. And that's why he spends a lifetime weaning us from our sins in our behavior. How are you doing? How's your mouth? How's your morals? How are you doing on your temper? What are you doing with your eyes? Can you look on a woman without lusting after her? How are you doing on greed? Can you ha- can you give money or do you just hoard it? How are you doing? How's God saving you in this area? He- he'll chisel on you, chisel on you maybe some some of you, the last thing you do in this life is give an offering. Then they'll take you home. Says, so, see there, I knew I could teach you to give. And you just drop it in the plate, poof. Gone. They learned that. I see some of you right now grabbing your heart. <laughs> don't, don't, don't save my money. Save my wallet, Lord. And then uh you live old enough, you're going to feel aches and pains and mortality. Uh, and you're going to think, am I going to be stuck being saved in this frame that's got all these pains and aches and things are slowing down? He said, oh, no, I've got to save you from a body that's been touched by sin And at the fall, everything began to decay and deteriorate because you're living out on one hand the death sentence I put on the Adamic race. You're dying. You're dying. But I'm going to even the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And I'm going to destroy death, and I'm going to give you a brand new body. So I'm going to save you in three phases, but I can save you completely based upon my crossword and my intercession. Saved completely. Hmm. And he goes on. What else does he say here? Uh, He's able to save to the uttermost everybody in the world. Does it say that? Who does he save? Uh, Ah, those who draw near to God. Now, watch this. How do you get near to God? Through him. See, you don't just go bouncing into, you got to go through a mediator, you got to go through a priest. You can get near God if you come through Jesus. You cannot get near to God without Jesus or he will, as it were, you'll be destroyed. This, you remember when Moses got the uh, uh, law on Mount Sinai, they had to rope off the mountain so the people would not be consumed. When God is manifesting his holiness, unholy people don't have a chance. But you, as an unholy sinner, can approach God through Jesus. I love what Job said in Job's 9. He said, who could ever be justified in your sight? He begins the chapter that way. And at the end, he said, oh, I would, I would that I had an arbiter that could lay his hands on me and lay his hands on God at the same time and bring us together, but I don't have any such arbiter. That was before Jesus came. Now we've got the arbiter. Lays his hand on us and lays his hand on God. He's the bridge. He said, you can get to God through me. Come through me, and you won't be consumed. You won't, you won't be fried. You won't be sentenced to hell. You can come. And I, I, uh, Jesus said, I call you Father. Yes, you may. Jesus said, you forgave me. Is that right? Yeah. What did I do to merit it? Was it that last offering? Not with your giving record. It's his record. It's your middleman that gains you access. You can talk to me. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Be bold. If you can't, if Jesus was the passcode you used to get to me, you're, all, you're on good ground. If you come to God, you must come through the Son. You can't get to him through Allah. You can't get to him through Muhammad. You can't get to him through buddha you can't get to him through penance you can't get to him through this church you can't get to him through money you can't get to him any other there's only one way you can get to god and it's through the son that's christianity that's the offense christ alone now watch he says this He's able to save you if you draw nigh, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Intercession is to beseech a favor for someone. To ask a favor. uh, If you went to court, it's to represent you in court, to have an advocate, uh, somebody that will plead, don't judge them, don't penalize them, intercede for them. Now, uh, what is there about you that would cause Jesus to intercede? Well, look at chapter two, chapter two, verse seventeen. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. 16 says, Surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Notice 18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Anybody here been tempted in the last seven days to sin? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Boy, my wife cleaned my clock this week. (laughs) Confession's good for the soul, it's hard on the reputation. Um, Went to a restaurant, they put me where I didn't want to sit, she'd already gone ahead. I got in there in the shadows. I don't like to sit in the shadows. Thanks for the light, guys. I don't like to preach in the dark. I don't care about ambiance. I want to see their face. Uh, and so, I was, I was trying to care. I don't want to sit. I want, uh, okay. Very godly cause. And then there was something else that I, but, 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 but. And she said something like this, I would sure like to see the fruit of the Spirit in you when we go to a restaurant. I said, honey, come here. (laughs) Not really. I'm telling you, I thought, here, old man of God, you're letting where you sit in the restaurant make you act like an ass. None of you do that. You're above it. Your are driving, t- says, I love Jesus, <laughs> and I will never cut you off. <laughs> None of you have temper problems. I do. I had to quit sports. I'd do it as long as you couldn't win. If you won, i quit or I'd get angry. My brother David could beat me at every game. I learned to nearly hate him. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that big? I can't tell you the peddledy stuff I gotta deal with in me. Just me. I don't need a playboy to sin. I'm the playboy, me. I don't need anything. Just put me in a room for about thirty minutes by myself, and I can figure out something to sin about. <laughs> think of bad thought. Think of this. Think of. He's interceding all the time for me. And for you. Because, see, there's everything in you to keep you out of the presence of God. Why do you think God wants you near Him? With all that garbage you've got in your own heart that your own wife can't stand about you. And by the way, honey, he can't stand some things about you. I can't go into that now, it's too heavy. <laughs> it's deep. And she'll buy this tape. I don't want to say anything that may hurt my love life. What's left? Um, and so, uh, wow, this is getting. I'm, I'm, I'm off the text. I got to get back here. Whoa. Ron Hughes is in the front. He's cooking me right there. He intercedes for our weakness. And where I'm not weak, I have an enemy. That can throw me to the mat in a minute, in a minute. Peter, you profess with the loudest voice that out of all my disciples, you'll be the most loyal. And I'm gonna tell you, before the night's over, you're gonna deny me. And Satan is requested to sift you as wheat, but I've asked God. And I'm interceding for you. Can you imagine? I'm praying for you as I'm going to the cross that God will forgive you for selling me out. And when you're converted, go strengthen your brothers. And so he wrote a little book called First Peter 5, 8. Beware of your adversary, the devil, who goes about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Did you know what? The devil wants to have you for lunch today. He wants to destroy your testimony, your home, your marriage, your children. He hates you because you love God. And he's out to trip you up. And Jesus says, I'm praying for you. I'm interceding for you. If he was to succeed with everything he plans to do to you, he plans to kill you. He said that in John 10, the wolf comes to kill and to destroy But I am the shepherd that delivers you from the wolf. Christ is interceding for you constantly, continually thwarting the plans of the enemy to kill you, destroy you, or to bring moral failure some kinds of failure that will table you forever. You remember what he said in John 17, I pray for you men. I'm praying to the Father that he will not take you out of the world, but that he'll keep you in the world, even if it's the Bay Area. I pray, Father, that you take them not from the world, but that you keep them in the world, and that you keep them from the evil one, the devil. Resist him, and he will flee from you. I'm interceding for you constantly. Listen to the song we sing every once in a while. It goes this way. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. Uh, You are being saved presently, not just on the cross work alone, but Christ is pleading what he did on Black Friday. He's pleading that work for you daily, and it's the only reason we haven't ruined the lives we're living you don't know how many things Jesus has kept out of your life because of his intercession. I love what John Newton wrote when he said, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that led me thus far, and grace will lead me home. I can look back in my life. I see where I was being set up. I see where a compromise was coming. I remember when a woman tried to bring me down. I remember when this was planted. I didn't know it going in, but as I escaped by the grace of God, I looked back, you were trying to seduce me. You were trying to get me to cheat. You were trying to get me to lie. Oh, I said, how did I escape? I wasn't smart enough to know the trap as a young man coming up, but I look back through many dangers, toils, and snares you've already brought me. Who, who got me through? Oh, I was the purest, the best, the most untemptible. Oh, no, my high priest. My high priest, he asked. He protected. He guided. You need a high priest. And you know what? Listen, Jesus isn't begging the Father to put up with you. Please, 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 Lord. No, 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 no. He said, my death, remember, Father, I'm laying on the altar. There's the plea. He's not a beggar to the Father. No begging in heaven. No begging. No, let's go see if we can talk God in. Oh, no, say, Father, I paid for this fault in them. Did we not take care of it? They don't even have that discussion. The Father says, matter of fact, when I sin, John says, I have an advocate. You mean you've got somebody that pleads for you when you sin? I thought you'd have somebody threaten you, not him. He says, Father, this is Calvary's explanation. Atonement's been made. Oh, I wish you knew it. I wish you believed it. And he goes on to say, the other priests had to offer continual sacrifices, but he made one once for all, The Levitical priest made nothing perfect. His sacrifice was perfect. I need a priest. I have one in Christ. I don't know about you. I must say this in closing. One of the most moving things to me is when somebody just stops me and they'll do this. You've had this happen. They'll say, uh, Phil, last week God put you on my heart. And I stopped and I prayed for you. Anybody ever do that? Or you get a card and encourage you. I was thinking of you today and I prayed for you. Have you ever got a card? Have you ever, have you ever been prompted to do that? I called Edwin yesterday. I was trying to do my message. Edwin's in New York on a three-week job. And about 1.30 yesterday when I was trying to do this message, God says, call him. Tell him you're praying for him. He couldn't answer the phone, so I prayed for him over the phone. You're not forgotten, Edwin. We're praying for you. I'm praying God to keep you. Keep Tilly and your daughters until you get home. I want you to know, son, we haven't forgotten what God's done for you. Stand true. Don't don't let anybody seduce you. Don't let anyone mess with you. Just keep pursuing Christ. I'll be looking forward to you coming home. Now, let me say this. If you read your Bibles, you'd find out Jesus daily sends you an encouragement card that says, I am praying for you. I am unceasingly making intercession for you lest you ruin your life any more than when I found you. I'm delivering you from one satanic plot after another, and you don't even know it. You just say it was a normal day, no problems, because you don't know how many wolves I knocked off before you got there. I'm praying for you. There's a favorite song. He's ever interceding to the Father for his own. Through him you can reach the Father. Come boldly to the throne. Our Father, thank you you gave us a priest, an effectual priest that is able to deliver us from all of our faults, our flaws, our sins, our weaknesses, our stumbling, our blindness, our stubbornness. Oh, we nearsighted, stubborn, stupid sheep can land in glory because of a kind, interceding, caring shepherd. Oh, gentle shepherd, we will be there. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Amen. I read something recently that said, The length to which the sheep stray tells you the length to which the shepherd must go. And he had to come a long way to find you and I, but he made the trip. Let's stand.